Maybe instead of counting, we should start doing Marco Polo. Marco Polo. What are you sending me? <laughs> I sent you a screenshot of what our call looks like on my phone. <laughs> Why does it say 1969? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, I Discord just like I... doesn't know what year it is. Yeah, I hop back into it, and now it actually says, like, a time counting up. You know, like a normal phone call. I don't know why it said you're recording. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Rip it and grip it, bro. <laughs> I wanted to do it before we actually recorded, because, I mean, for obvious reasons. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt. You've denied, you've denied me my... <laughs> you denied me the roast. <laughs> yeah, let the big dog hunt. <laughs> All right, you, you ready to learn about some, some swamps? Swamps. Some swamps. Yeah. All right. Yeah, tell me about the swamps. Yeah. yeah, hype. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Hey. Welcome to Beating for the Trees, a podcast where I physically fight climate change deniers. Uh, I, I, I could get sued. Okay, fine. This is actually uh, Speaking for the Trees. I'm not meeting anyone in the pit today because I don't want to get sued for uh, assault and battery. I'm Ellie. Uh, that's Lauren. Hello. Lauren would not threaten anyone. She, she's too nice. I, 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 I'm threatening. I'm too <laughs> physically non-threatening also. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like people don't think I'm threatening either. I'm like 5'4". Um, so this was originally going to be an episode where we both talk about stuff. And then, uh, how's environmental consulting going, Lauren? Uh, bad. My work schedule's bad, in fact, I would say. <laughs> yeah. So I've had not, I have not had enough time to work on script. And also, Ellie's script was pretty long already. So what? Me uh, be extra about something? Me? <laughs> so it was, I, when it was... I remember when I was when I was writing this script, I texted you and was like, Lord, I can't be normal about mangroves. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so eventually we will be circling back to me and my part on Vernal Pools. It'll either be like the episode after this or two episodes after this, depending on I don't at know. some point you will say yes. the stuff about the things. But today I yes. At some point I am going I will... to tell yeah, I'm yeah. going to tell you about mangroves, and then I'm also going to tell you about an endangered species. Yeah, <laughs> I guess this is just as well, because, like, with my stuff, this would have been an extremely long episode. Again, so, could not be normal about mangroves. Yeah, um, so at this point, it'll be reasonably length. Yeah, this, this is the Ellie show today. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I just, I find mangrove swamps very interesting. Um, and so I went hard, uh, but, but your first question is probably what is a mangrove? It, unless you're from Florida, uh, you probably don't know what a mangrove is. So uh, let's start out with what a swamp is. So a swamp is a bunch of trees that is flooded with some kind of regularity. Like maybe once a year, the area is just covered with water. Oh, but it doesn't uh, have to be, it doesn't have to be like all the time though. Them? No, just like okay. it just has to be like with some kind of like predictable regularity. So like every spring it's flooded or whatever. In the but case it of does mangroves, need trees. it's yes, it needs trees specifically to be a swamp. Okay. If there's no trees, that makes it a marsh. 
or a bog. All right. Yeah. Well, if there's standing water, it's a marsh, and if there's no standing water, it's a bog. Anyway, we're getting our I'm one sentence in. We're sidetracked. Uh, so a mangrove swamp is a woodland or shrubland formed by mangrove trees in brackish tidal water. And brackish water is, of course, fresh water from the land mixed with the salt water of the sea. So it's brackish. Um, okay. And a mangrove tree is a small tree or shrub, depending on how you define either, uh, that has these roots that are really um, iconic. If you ever, if you look at a picture of them, Lauren. Yeah. Um, no, I, they I have love the, <laughs> the aerial roots that go into the water. And, yes. um, and then they have like really short little green leaves on them. So, like, if you ever drive through South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, you'll see these things on the um, on the coast. Uh, some places also call them a tidal forest, and they are actually more productive than the tropical rainforests. Wait, what do you mean by productive? Like, they, uh, they do more life processes and stuff. They produce more oxygen. They produce more oh. uh, plant biomass. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. Yeah, so, oh, I even, I scroll down. Production equals biomass generation. So they create more. Thank you for making noise, Lucifer. <laughs> um, so production is biomass generation, meaning um, they make more plant tissue than a rainforest does, which I thought was neat because I always thought that the most productive uh, biome in the world was the rainforest, but apparently it is the mangrove swamp. That's super cool. Yeah. And a mangrove swamp uh, does not necessarily have all species of mango tree in the swamp. There are actually fi- over 50 species of mangrove. So it's not just the one type. It's not like there's one species of mangrove and that's what makes it a swamp. There's like a gajillion different types. Well, there's actually okay. over 50, not a gajillion. Okay. Do you eventually <laughs> talk about like what some of the common types are? Like, I mean, I guess. Why, yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I went we really can talk about it. We can talk about it later if that's like not the order that we wanted to address it in i was just we quite literally my next bullet point is description of common mangrove red mangrove plant u.s so okay so the red mangrove is the one that um southeastern uh americans will know it it, they have these visible arced roots above the water line so you can see the roots uh mature ones can be up to 30 feet tall although the ones right by the water's edge are generally more like a shrub Okay. Uh, the leaves are pretty small, half a foot long, and are super leathery to the touch. So they uh, they really keep that moisture locked in there. Pretty small leaves that are six inches long. That's I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what the internet said, and I was like, "Are you oh, sure that's small?" But apparently, there for a tree. Maybe for a tree that's small. I don't know. I'm not a botanist. I don't. I don't know. I've seen trees. Maybe for like mango trees. I don't know. Much I've about. seen at least two trees. <laughs> yeah, my day. I've seen some trees. <laughs> did, but did you have a ruler with you, Lauren? When you saw those <laughs> I trees? I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't. <laughs> so uh, they tend to live in the subtropics and tropics. So if you know uh, about latitude and longitude, that is between the twenty-five latitudes. So around the equator, basically. Oh, okay. Um. They are like I, like I know latitudes. They are uh, mangrove swamps are on every single continent except Europe. If you think it's oh. sex, 
unless you think that's a, if you think that's a separate continent from Asia, Europe, which I don't, it's on every continent and also not Antarctica, which also doesn't count because it's such a, yeah. I mean, like, that's not really fair to be like, oh, they don't exist on the tundra. Like, okay. Yeah. But lots of things don't exist on the tundra. (laughs) But yeah, pretty much every continent except Europe and uh, Antarctica, they are present in some fashion. Hell yeah. Uh, the way the mangroves decide, hmm, which species of us is going to live in this particular area is going to be based on the sediment and the salinity. So what kind of soil is there and what kind of salt content is in the water? Okay. So the closer to the water, even within one mangrove swamp, you'll have multiple species. So the closer okay. to the water, you'll actually have one, one species. And then further back up on land, you may have a different one. Okay. Some species are adapted well to the constantly changing water level, and some prefer to be uh, further back in soil that drains better and maybe prefer less salinity or more salinity, or they maybe they prefer um, for water level to be at this high at this time of day. Like, <laughs> okay. mercury must be in retrograde. Like, the, the, yeah. that's how they decide who's going to live where. Ooh. If a stream is coming over land that is nearby, that will also affect which species decide to settle. So, like... The stream is a freshwater input, right? And the stream mm-hmm. can go up and down at its level, and that'll affect how much fresh water is being added to the brackish water, and that'll affect which plants want to live closer to the stream. Because some of them don't even want to be near that, and some really do want to be near that. So there's so many different things that can affect. You know what's fun about streams? Streams are also tidally influenced um, in their in their in their depth. So isn't that fun? Oh jeez. <laughs> Wait, how? How are they? How does that work? Oh, um, does the water like back flush sediment back out when it uh, uh, when the tide comes in? Or I this is based on research I did years ago, so I don't remember everything exactly. Um, this is like a consideration that we had to we had to make. I'm it assuming really when you matter. say streams are tidally affected, you mean like streams by the coast are tidally affected, not all. Streams. Basically, yeah. Basically, okay. yeah, but it's like the influence, <laughs> the influence would, ex- it actually can stretch further up a stream than you might expect. But yeah, they, they're the water, but it's like generally we only think of the ocean's water levels as being affected by uh, tidal influence, but actually freshwater streams can have that too if they're, if they're near enough to the coast. Oh, I see. So like the, the tidal pull on it or push on it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Water, water is all connected, whether you call it a stream or not. Anyway, it doesn't. I just think it's cool. I just think it's cool. It's just a cool, fun thing I know about streams. <laughs> anyway, it's a cool, go ahead. Hey, fellow kids, you want to hear? About <laughs> all right. So mangroves are extremophiles. There are less than 500 plant species globally that can tolerate seawater, which makes them an extremophile. An extremophile, it just means that it's a some kind of animal or plant or whatever life that can live somewhere where others prefer not to due to certain conditions. In this case, it's yeah. salt water. And they also like thrive. They thrive in what are like extreme conditions. Um, yeah, that's a much more concise way to put it. Thank you. So their roots in the sediment will take up water, they'll filter out the salt, and then they'll send the fresh water up to the plant. So the roots that are in the water itself actually aren't taking up water at all, just the ones that are in the soil, or the part of the root that's in the soil is uh, the part that's taking up the water. Okay, so... Go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to ask. So like, I guess like the roots like are reaching through the water to reach the soil and that's how they're staying like anchored. It's just like is the water yes. happens to be in the way almost. Yeah. The water is just like to them. It's just another layer of strata. Basically they okay. don't, they basically ignore the water except for this other thing that I'm going to mention in just a second. Okay. Mangroves are especially good at regulating what chemicals are allowed to travel up their roots. So I mentioned, oh, they're extremophiles. Salt water is often a big issue for plants. So their xylem, or veins basically, are specifically adapted to sort out the Na plus and Cl minus, so sodium and chloride, sodium chloride is mm-hmm. salt, um, out of the water and, bar- and basically just prevent uh, their entry to the rest of the plant. So the, the roots will basically store and segment off that uh, the salt in the water and just keep it away. And so the fresh water goes up to the rest of the plant. Cool. So, so that's how they handle that. And what's crazy is the roots can filter out 90 to 97% of salt in the water. That's like a high, very high percentage. That's really efficient. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if we could use this somehow to clean ocean water? <laughs> we once sat in a lecture about a guy looking at mangrove stuff and nanotubes and stuff to clean out water yeah and it oh was the God, coolest yeah. lecture i've ever sat in uh yeah because yeah, normally when you clean salt water it's like a really expensive process called reverse yeah. osmosis but oh they were well, thinking yeah. about using mangrove technology which i thought was neat yeah desalination is very uh not cost effective at the expensive moment yeah no <laughs> yeah cool expensive is like a more concise way of saying not cost effective <laughs> it sure is <laughs> Maybe I should have used that word. (laughs) (laughs) These plants are super effective at removing salt from the water and sending that up to the plant. The rest of the plant removes salt on a cellular level. So like that 3% that doesn't get filtered out by the roots is removed by the plant itself trapping salt molecules within the vacuoles of the plant. So like each, all of your cells have these little trash bins called vacuoles that like surround a particle and just kind of eat it. And so the plant has these vacuoles that are specifically designed to trap salt molecules, and then they send them out to be secreted at the base of the leaf. But um, I also have a note that says only in certain species. So there's a few species that don't do this. Okay. So because they have to do all this work to filter out the salt, the water that they do have, they try to conserve. So they use their leaf surfaces to trap water vapor by uh, closing their little vents that are called stomata. They'll, They'll... close them uh, when it's really hot so that they keep the water vapor inside so they can keep using it. Uh, And they also, if they get too hot, they'll turn their leaves away from the sun so that the water doesn't evaporate. That's really cool. Yeah, so they're actually kind of smart plants if you think about it. Plants have feelings and thoughts, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they also can grow. I mentioned that they are extremophiles and that they can uh, deal with salt. They also grow in low oxygen environments. If you think about it, you have a bunch of soil and you have a bunch of water in that soil. The water is displacing the oxygen in the soil, right? Mm-hmm. So since their roots are in low oxygen soil, they have these special re- breathing roots called knees. So the, yeah. so the Yeah. I thought this was so funny. And it, it looks really silly too if you Google it. So basically they have a root that goes down into the water and then into the soil. And then another root from the soil comes back up out into the water into the air 
and that has an opening to take in air, and it transports air down to the rest of the root system, because believe it or not, plants need to breathe also. Yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember this from taking a wetlands class. Um, the, same the same wetlands class I took after you. <laughs> yeah, we just took it different semesters, but yeah, I remember, I remember the knees. <laughs> I think they're so cool. The knees! I think that's such a cute little adaptation. It also makes total sense. You, just I always include reproduction in all of my segments because I'm weird. Okay. <laughs> I just thought this was neat. So um, another adaptation they have to their environment is that their seeds float. So they don't, you know, just die instantly when they get let, let go. Uh, and even if they have germinated a bit and there's like a seedling growing out of the seed, that can float too. Hmm. When the seed is still not a seedling, but still in seed mode. Um, they can be dormant for up to your, up to a year until they find a place to root. That's a really long time. Yeah, it is. So yeah, that was my first segment of what the hell is a mangrove swamp? For my second segment. <laughs> That's right. We're not done. I, just, <laughs> I, I told you it wasn't going to be normal about mangrove swamps, man. <laughs> so the second segment is entitled, why are they cool as shit? <laughs> So for humans, we have all these things. We call them ecosystem services. It's things that the environment can do for us because we're selfish little greedy bastards. The first big thing that mangrove swamps do for us is they protect coasts from storm surges, which are basically just, it's when the ocean water wells up and basically floods. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it also, and it happens usually during a storm. So storm surge makes sense Mm -hmm. Uh, during hurricanes. And then they also protect us from tsunamis. Basically, they protect us from flooding, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they're like a buffer. Yeah, exactly. So their roots make these huge systems above the water, which dissipate or like, um, I I wrote find an easier word and then I didn't do that. So basically, they provide a barrier for some of the energy to like bounce off of and then kind of be reduced. So as the energy goes through the energy of the wave goes through all these roots. It gets less and less because of all the resistance from the roots. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like damping. Yeah. You're damping your flood peaks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the very sciencey way to say it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's right. The less science... uh, If you think of it like soundboards, so like if I was in a room that had a soundboard, the energy from my voice in the waves that are carrying my voice are basically reduced when they hit the soundboard versus if i'm in an empty room with flat walls my the energy is uh just redirected off the wall and then back into the microphone then you hear garbage right like you do now because we don't have (laughs) dampening foam so yeah it works like that basically their roots also slow down normal water uh so like if it's not during us just a regular old tide Mm -hmm. the uh they slow down warm the normal water enough that dirt particles will fall out so they kind of collect their own dirt in a way. Yeah, yeah, because they can build out coasts. So an area that is protected by mangroves can still flood, but the destruction will be a lot less. It'll just be a bunch of annoying water rather than a bunch of water with energy that like destroys all your buildings and cars. And yeah, stuff. it's like the difference between having, I don't know, it's like if you have like a gigantic tidal wave and you have like a forest between you and your between your house and that wave, that's it's gonna dissipate it that's that's a really like yeah i mean it's a really basic it's example. literally what's happening it, it's a it's a <laughs> it's like as opposed to all of that energy just hitting your house at once yeah it's it's literally just a barrier basically is 
the the if you take anything away they they make a barrier and it helps with flooding Mm -hmm. we have issues with uh sediment going into our waterways Mm -hmm. because humans really like to use big engines that kick up sediment so one nice thing about mangroves is they will collect the sediment for us and just place it on the ground neatly and then boom coastline yeah uh, what's also really cool is if we manage them correctly, they are actually a sustainable source of wood. Oh. We can use mangroves to feed livestock like sheep and camels. And also, some people use them as medicine. So they have all sorts of uses. That's cool. I have no idea how sheep and camels would navigate a mangrove. But <laughs> I guess, I guess like... Oh, no. I, I'm, not sa- I'm not saying they live there. I'm saying that the... Um, it can be harvested as fodder oh. for like oh i see eating. okay yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's not like we live in a forest and we take the wood down when we want it we buy wood at the wood store <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> it makes a lot more sense than like <laughs> you're valid okay so that was all the ecosystem services but there's also some other stuff they do just for the environment itself so they actually clean the water. They remove um, things like nitrate, nitrogen, phosphorus, and iron out of the water and the soil and mm-hmm. store it in their plant parts. They also will take up heavy metals, which is really helpful. Hell yeah. Heavy and metals are really... they also provide... <laughs> oh, I was going to just say... Like, so heavy... hard to clean. Yeah, they're hard to remove. Um, and so it's nice if you can get a... If, if a plant automatically just kind of does it for you. That's nice. Yeah, it's super, super good. We should probably keep them. So mangroves will provide habitat for oysters, crabs, fish, and other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are also bird sanctuaries for aquatic bird species. Yeah. So they're, they provide important habitat for birds. And they're also breeding grounds for all sorts of other animals like fish, mammals, birds, crustaceans, reptiles, you name it. Mm-hmm. And finally, they're a carbon sink, meaning that... They store carbon in their tissues that they take out of the air, which is really important with the climate change crisis happening. I feel like all of the good things we talk about, we're like, it's a carbon sink. It stores the carbon that we're so concerned about. Yeah, pretty much anything I talk about is going to mention that because I love plants and plants are carbon sinks. So my next section is entitled, (laughs) I guessing we're fucking this up too. How are we fucking this up? All right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Here we go. Here's the sad part. <laughs> so it's the usual shit, right? It, we overexploit them. We pollute them. We remove them to re- make room for our human bullshit, etc. Mm. Um, so the first thing we do is we overharvest them for wood. Uh, we use it, a lot of mangrove bark for, not bark, we use a lot of uh, mangrove pulp for wood chipping and paper pulp. Uh, in the Persian Gulf, humans use mangrove as a source of firewood and as fodder for livestock, in this case, camels. Hmm. I, I do want to mention in the Persian Gulf's defense here that they did try to reforest it, but the Gulf War ended up destroying them again. Oh. So war doesn't just affect humans. It also it does, and it sucks, and it's bad. I'm not going to take a hard stance on it only affects the environment. That would be wild. No, it's bad for humans, but it's also bad for the environment. <laughs> Mangroves, since they are such a hospitable environment for all these crustaceans and shellfish, mm-hmm. um, a lot of overharvesting of these things, shellfish and crustaceans, are um, happening in all parts of the world. Uh, mm. Shrimp is a big one. Yeah. People also like to dump 
garbage and sewage in the uh, ocean because there's just no rules and Ugh. there's no how would you enforce that uh, and yeah. that and dredging as well to um, make to get sand to put on the coast for the pretty beaches. Mm. All these activities will affect the mangrove swamps as well. And this will come as no surprise, but oil spills, not good for mangrove swamps. Um, when oil on the water gets to a mangrove swamp, it dis- it disrupts the plant's ability to um, supply their roots with oxygen. And it so basically chokes them. Oh. In Nigeria, this is especially a problem, uh, huh. is oil spills fucking with the mangrove swamps. Uh, another issue that mangroves are facing is insecticides, specifically on malaria-carrying mosquitoes. Uh, and pesticides used elsewhere. So, like, if there's a farm upriver that uses pesticides and then it ends up in the water just through the water cycle and gets to the mangrove swamp, that'll fuck shit up. Right. You, what'll, what basically happens is it'll get up in the soil and it messes with the mangrove's habitat and biological community. So it just kind of, like, messes with all aspects of the food chain and makes it um, hard for the mangroves to, like, thrive, basically. Okay. Okay, and then our next big thing is tourism and development. So humans building up areas near mangroves or just taking out mangroves. Hilariously, people like to look at mangroves, so they have their own tourism, which kills the mangroves. Uh, In the Dominican Republic, they have been taken out by resorts, and a lot of the remaining swamps are on private beaches where the public doesn't have access to them. And what's funny about that is, so the the people on the resorts can see them because they're on private property, uh-huh. but they don't let the public, like, people of the Domin- Dominican Republic come see it. Oh. So, like, oh, it's so- like their own thing that they can't even enjoy, basically. Kind of like what we did to Hawaiians with the public beaches and stuff. Okay. So, yeah, it's not great. And, and then, like... They also, the resorts themselves, in order to be built, like, killed a bunch of mangroves so they could look right. at the mangroves. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. So that's a fun little ir- ir- irony right there. Freshwater diversion. So my next bullet point is if you have mangroves that are next to a river output, mm-hmm. any kind of work upstream where they change the direction of the river or like take water away from the river will affect how much fresh water is input into the mangroves area which will affect the salinity and this will kill species that aren't tolerant to higher salinity so for example you have a big freshwater input and then farmer dell over here is like i need this to water my crops which is fair uh and he takes let's say half the river (laughs) just a really really greedy guy you would not get a permit for this (laughs) but all right (laughs) (laughs) but it's easy to like think about so he takes like half the volume of the river and suddenly there's less fresh water that's going into the uh swamp where the mangroves are well now the salinity is much higher because the ocean is still putting in the same amount and the fresh water amount has been halved and a lot of their the the range of salinity that they can tolerate isn't that big so if it changes that much they'll just die hey stop that easy Stop it. This is staying in. Wheezy's being a little shit. Okay. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Uh, What'd she do? Oh, she's just like clawing at my dad's speaker, which is, you know, obviously not good. Um, Not, not good. Yeah. Okay. 
upstream water is often used for irrigation, which is why I use the farmer idea. Uh, okay. And this was an issue in Pakistan when, when the Indus River was redirected. So okay. this fucked up a bunch of uh, mangroves in Pakistan. Okay. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, sh- shrimp farming is a huge contributor to mangrove disruption. Half the mangroves of the world have been killed off in recent years because people wanted to build shrimp farms or rice paddies. Hmm. Just this alone fucks up the mangroves. That's that's a lot. <laughs> sure is. A lot of shrimp farming operations will kind of market themselves as, oh, we're going to bring this economy back up. We're going to provide jobs, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But they don't because in terms of how much money is generated by like the export of the shrimp Mm -hmm. um the local economics is actually decreased basically when the shrimp people come in like they're like oh yeah we're great at this and then they actually fuck everyone and the mangroves over okay so it's so it's basically it's not as it's not as good for like the local populations as it is for the company that is not actually no it's it's 100 percent exploitation okay 100 percent. i don't know why i said it in german thanks brain uh, <laughs> when you when you somewhat bilingual and you have a brain injury <laughs> so then another big issue for them is going to be typhoons and hurricanes because of course it is uh, so obviously they're going to flood, duh, but they're also, uh, typhoons and hurricanes will uproot the trees, which kills them. Uh, they're going to affect the salinity and water level. So like these plants are all going to prefer a pretty narrow range of salinity and water level. Mm-hmm. And during a thing like a typhoon or hurricane, that's going to change drastically, which can kill the plants. They also will dump a fuckload of sediment all at once. So you get a big a whole bunch of storms in a hurricane and they just dump a bunch of sediment. Right. It actually takes 20 to 25 years for a mangrove swamp to fully recover from the damage of a typhoon or hurricane. Holy shit. 20 that's, to 25 years. That's way longer than I would have guessed. And that these events happen multiple times a year. And with climate change, they are expected to increase in their scope and their frequency. So like it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Big yikes. Uh, in Bangladesh, the removal of the mangrove protections, so like the, the, the government decided they were no longer going to protect the mangroves, mm-hmm. has actually resulted in increased flooding on the coastline and erosion. So basically, the entire area has been suffering because the uh, government couldn't be bothered to continue protecting these mangroves. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, that makes sense with what we were talking about earlier, where it's like with the t- typhoons and hurricanes are increasing in devastation and frequency um due to climate change right but then also like the mangroves that were kind of um taking on some of that i guess damage um and acting as a buffer for human civilization well now they're not there acting as a buffer so instead like the full it's like this crazy feedback loop where they where like the bigger storm makes it even worse on the mangroves which kills the mangroves which makes it worse on the humans yeah and the humans are one that caused both (laughs) and then with the erosion that also makes sense because we talked about how mangroves are very good at building out coastlines but that also means when you're taking the mangroves away 
you end up with problems because like the root system of yeah the root system of the mangroves is no longer in place holding sediment and you know building out that coastline instead that sediment just like washes out yep so it's basically just this huge protection that uh bangladesh decided not to and i'm not going to blame the entire population of bangladesh it was the government that decided this like the same thing with the united states going out of the paris agreement a couple years ago Everyone in the United States was like, hey, maybe don't do that. And Trump was like, YOLO. So, like, not going to blame us for that. It was Trump. Uh, (laughs) Obviously, we got sea level rise due to climate change is also bad because, again, these plants only have so much tolerance. And then all these Mm -hmm. things combined create this loss of biodiversity. So, like, all these really thriving ecosystems that all have these interdependent webs of, like, this thing eats that thing and uses this thing as shelter, because they're all getting wiped out from all Mm -hmm. these different things, the ecosystems themselves are less healthy. Uh, The biggest concern Mm -hmm. for mangroves of the world is in Southeast Asia. They're losing them the fastest. So that was a downer. (laughs) But... Yeah. But... I do have another section and it's called, how are we going to fix it? So there is some hope. And I thought this, I think this stuff is so interesting and it's what I wanted to do for my career. And then I can't. So people around the world are trying to get more mangrove trees planted. So in Pakistan, Mm -hmm. a lot of mangroves were cut down by developers, but a ton of volunteers helped the Sindh forestry department plant seedlings to try to help the situation. In 12 hours, 800,000 trees were planted. Oh, my God. Yeah. This broke a Guinness World Record for maximum number of trees planted in a day. Oh, my God. Isn't that nice? (laughs) In Ecuador, their biggest issue has been aquaculture or fish farming that has been causing their damage. So there uh, Mm -hmm. is a campaign of local fishermen. They are trying to restore the mangroves. So they're really working basically at a grassroots level to like get the word out and try to work on reform so that's super cool in the bahamas we have another grassroots campaign that is attempting to halt deforestation so they're just trying to get people to stop chopping it down over Mm -hmm. in thailand we have communities that have been successful in restoring damaged mangroves oh that's so cool Okay. Yeah, and this is my favorite one because it has actually how it was uh, done. So in Indonesia, 70% of mangroves have been lost, which is awful. They've been having issues with flooding. So they put out these stacks of PVC pipes on their side on the sediment around areas that are getting battered by erosion, and then they filled in the gaps between the pipes with twigs and mud. This is a Dutch technique that they use to catch sediment. Uh, It creates these divots between the pipes where the sediment can get trapped, which will encourage seedlings to root there. And as the mangroves grow back, the islands get their green belts of of mangroves back that help decrease the amount of energy as a wave hits, as it hits the shoreline, which helps their flooding situation. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. So it's like a way to engineer a a mangrove, basic, a mangrove swamp. You you create these little pockets of increased resistance to water that let the sediment drop out. And so that allows for a place for a mangrove to sprout, which I think is cute. When we restore a mangrove swamp, it's often not as diverse. Uh, We generally focus on the trees themselves rather than the big picture. 
that being said, it's definitely better than nothing because there's still potential. We are basically, the mangroves are like scaffolding. And as Mm -hmm. we provide the scaffolding, nature will fill in the gaps, hopefully, eventually, to make the mangrove swamp some kind of shadow of its former self, right? It's never going to be perfect, Mm -hmm. but it's better than nothing. Right. And it's, it's still like, it's still providing some of the functionality that it was before. Yes. Beneficial functionality. Exactly. Uh, the projects that do additional work to help the aquatic and other life as well as the trees tend to approximate actual mangrove forests better. So the more you can right. do in addition to planting trees and like maybe mm-hmm. seeding other species, maybe adding fish, whatever you need to do will actually lead to better protection and also more carbon trapped in tree tissue if that's the thing you care about. Mm. There is some hope. There's definitely a lot of countries are working on trying to make the mangrove swamps either grow back or protect them or whatever. So there is some hope there. I do. I do appreciate that. Uh, My next section Mm. is why are they your favorite wetland? And my first bullet point is (laughs) because they fuck. Next question. (laughs) so my actual answer is nostalgia so when i was a kid my family visited florida a lot singer island specifically so like west palm beach area and my favorite part Mm -hmm. about being on singer island was driving through the mangrove swamp it was just like you're at water level it's always these really low bridges and you're just surrounded by greenery and water and it's just such a chill idyllic time if you time it right, you can also go kayaking through mangrove swamps and it's cause it's usually protected from like the waves mm-hmm. and it's like a super chill, like pleasant kayaking experience. You can see all the fish. It's usually really shallow. So you can see all the fish and you can like get out if you need to. There's sandbars everywhere. Like it's super, it's a really easy, if you have kids with you, it's a really easy kayak. You definitely have to time it so that it's like high tide or low tide pick one don't go when the tide's changing (laughs) i also just think it's cute that they breathe air through their knees i don't do that (laughs) (laughs) i breathe through my mouth so and nose mostly my mouth i've had a sinus infection for who knows how long great (laughs) (laughs) so yeah (laughs) that was mangroves i thought they were cute and i love them uh at some point lauren will tell us about vernal pools but Yes. Lauren, do you have any like thoughts on the mangroves? Do you love them now just as much as I do? No, I mean, I, I love mangroves. I've never been to a mangrove actually because I live in the Midwest <laughs> and I grew up in the Midwest. For the endangered species of the week, I'm going to tell you about something called a snorkel wart, which sounds made up. <laughs> Yay! Uh, <laughs> it's, it sounds so delightful. I'm obsessed. Isn't it cute? The snorkel wart scientific name is Gradiola amphiantha. First try. It's also called little amphianthus or spoolprite. What? Uh, oh my god. Pool sprite? <laughs> spoolprite? <laughs> <laughs> I did so well. I did so well on the um on the Latin name oh. and I got cocky. <laughs> Pool Sprite. <laughs> pool Sprite. 
So this would have been great if uh, Lauren had her section in here and we could have talked about vernal pools because this is a vernal pool species, but whatever. <laughs> it's uh, that's fine. okay. On <laughs> we can talk about a mangrove species on the vernal yeah, pool episode. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> so uh, the snorkel wart lives in shallow granite depressions, which are basically just tiny vernal pools. So basically, just like if there's a dip in a granite rock. This thing will live in it. <laughs> they need oh just the, just the right conditions, not too deep, because they need other plants not to move in, but not too shallow so okay. that the plant itself can't root. So it needs to be just the chef's kiss, right amount of uh, depth. I see. The water will fill this depression, and then there are like these. They have these little hairy roots in the water with little green leaves on the water surface and some tiny white flowers, kind of like duckweed. Oh. Oh my god i <laughs> i love how everything in vernal pools just sounds like fairy names that's part of right? why i can do my episode on it i love them what's cool about these things is they have these flowers that form underwater and they self-pollinate they never bloom mm. and that ensures that some spe- seeds are grown every season. So they still have above water flowers that do the normal flower thing, but then they also have these weird secret underwater flowers. Oh my God. Isn't yes. that delightful? <laughs> That's so cool. That's where the fairies live. What's crazy is they'll go from a seed to a mature flowering plant in just 17 days. That's less than two weeks. No, wait, no, it's more than two weeks. Fuck. That's God damn fun. it. <laughs> it's just over two weeks. I thought I thought two weeks was twenty four days. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I have an engineering degree. Anyway, seventeen days is still not a lot. It, they they go from uh, seed to flowering plant in just seventeen days. Uh, as That's for really why they are in this segment, their status is threatened. They are native to the Atlantic and Gulf coastal plain the Eastern Mountains, and the Piedmont of the United States. And believe it or not, there are only 31 patches of them. Oh, no. Yeah, not great. So a lot of places they like to form are just like in the middle of the forest, you know, just hanging out. Uh, So they're threatened by Mm -hmm. off-road vehicles, hikers, uh, trash and debris dumping, and quarrying. So like quarrying is just when... A bunch of people with dynamite come in and just go, I want these rocks. And then they make a big, just a big cave, open air cave. Yeah. Yeah. You know what a quarry, you know, like a quarry. (laughs) (laughs) So they're also threatened by animal poop from nearby livestock grazing uh, in their general vicinity. They also have issues with invasive species that will come into their territory. It's called poa Mm -hmm. annua or annual meadow grass. And that is specifically okay. in Atl- uh, not Atlanta, specifically in Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. If you live in these areas, I didn't do any research for you. You should look into it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like I just cool. kind of ended on a sad note and didn't like say what to cool. do. But yeah, they're these cute little things. Cool. I don't want them to die. So if you live in that area, fucking figure it out. All right. Outro time. <laughs> all right so we got social media you can follow us at tree speaking on twitter and instagram and once we start posting i hopefully will remember that they exist and actually post on them 
Our logo is by Tyler C. Hurst. You can find him on those medias as well. Hurst is spelled with a U. Music is by Kevin McLeod, as is all music. He is the only musician. One true musician. Yes. <laughs> he is <laughs> he is the KK Slider of our universe. And that's it. That is our that is our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Okay, bye.